Hey, this is Dennis Katsanos, Broadcasting Consultant on episode 200 of Leadership is Changing. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace, change, and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Janoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. I want to welcome you to today's session. Today's session is very special. It's the 200th episode of the Leading Leadership is Changing podcast, and it's a real pleasure to be here with you all, listeners, on the 200th episode. But we're going to do a little thing, something a little bit different today. I'm actually going to be interviewed, and I've asked uh, um, a gentleman by the name of Dennis Katsanos. That's right. His name is Dennis as well. And Dennis <laughs> has got uh, 20 years of broadcasting experience, and he's done many interviews um, of people from around the world. And uh, so it's going to be very exciting for Dennis to be with me here on the show and uh, actually interview me. Dennis, welcome to you. Thank you very much, Dennis. I must admit, when you asked me to interview for the 200th show, I was really, really excited. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't believe in such a short space of time you've, you've hit 200 episodes. Before we get into it, any memorable moments for you, any standout moments that um, across the episodes? Because I've noticed in, in my research, you've got Christopher Luxem, John Lee Dumas, Tracy Abara, Travis Chappell, you know, Joanna McCress, there's some, some names in there. They're just some of the ones that I listened to before we came on. And um, they're all outstanding, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've got to actually say that the first recording that I did was really, really quite special. Um, and then to see it go live, I think that was pretty cool. And we actually, I had a deadline to get it live, go live. Of course, we were in lockdown uh, over a year ago, and um, and I thought, well, I want to launch it. So I decided to do that. But I pushed the production team to help me get it live, go live. And they said, we've never done it this quick before. And um, it was pretty quite cool for it to happen. And for it to go and see it to come to life uh, has been really special. Doing the 50th episode, the 100th episode um, has been very special indeed. And now the 200th episode and, and having you join me on this, to, on this session has been, is pretty cool, man. I think it's I think it's just absolutely amazing, and I, and I must admit I've, I've listened to a lot of not every single um, not every single podcast, but some of the um, some of the lessons in there. I was listening to the resilience one uh, just the other day, and I thought, yep, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of lessons in there for me. Um, Dennis, I'm going to ask you the first question you ask everyone. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, um, I I was born in New Zealand and grew up here, and uh, went to school and college in New Zealand, and and um, really. Grew up in the coffee industry. Mum and dad, um, as you know, uh, we were in the coffee industry. I've been in the coffee industry 61 years, which has been pretty amazing. And um, that's where I grew up. So at the age of seven, well, here I was in the behind the counter at the shop. Uh, every day after school, every day, every weekend, school holidays, we were at the shop working, and um, it was really great. But you know what? That taught me a lot, and it taught me a lot about work ethic. It taught me a lot about commitment and so forth. Don't get me wrong. We we did have the the childhood stuff that we went to the movies and out so forth. But there's one thing that really stuck out for me in my childhood, and there was this: that even though my dad got up to go to and my parents got up in the morning at four a.m. in the morning to go to the cafe and do things like that, and then we come home at five thirty p.m. We would have dinner in daylight saving. My dad was the only dad in the neighbourhood that would go down to the local park with the kids to go and play cricket, um, touch rugby and all that sort of stuff. 
And it just showed me that even though he was probably really tired and all that, he was still there for us as kids, but he also wanted to go out there and enjoy it as well for him. And and um, that just showed me that he had a very strong work ethic, but it was something that he he was committed to doing as well, which was which was pretty cool. It's pretty outstanding working a thirteen-hour day, and um, particularly by the time we got to sort of Friday, Saturday, I'd be spent. If I'm being honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from from for me, you know, going to college and so forth, I've really had leadership roles um, throughout the whole period of time, and um, then into corporates, of course, and uh, doing things around in the IT space, and then getting into leadership roles, and then converting into the coaching and leadership development stuff that I've been doing for nearly twenty-five years, and. Um, then I decided to go and do that full-time 17 years ago, if not longer, um, in the HR space, and it's been been fantastic. So, Dennis, you, you touched on, obviously, you got a taste for it younger at college and obviously through working at your, your parents' um, cafe, et cetera. So how did you formally get into leadership? Or what was that spark or that moment that you thought, right, this is the direction I'm going to go in? Well, I've always wanted to join the police, to be honest. And, um, and wow. uh, I remember... Every morning and every night, I would go under my bed and have these little brochures that I pulled out from the police, and I would just watch and read these magazines day in, day out, and that was something I wanted to pursue. But then I um, I got engaged, and uh, my fiance at the time said to me, hey, it's either the police or me. You've got to choose. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So I chose her, and, um, of course, 10 years later, we divorced. But I think the big thing for me was, there was a real big lesson for me about following your dream and um, and making sure that you stick to something that you wanted to go and do. And so that was around leadership as well. But I actually remember at primary school, they pulled me aside and said that, you know, we don't have a head boy or head girl, but if we did, it would be you. And I was like, oh, wow. And then when I went to um, intermediate, but into college more in particular, that's where I started leading teams. And whether it's on committees I was with in the community or sporting teams and things like that. That's where a lot of that leadership side of things started for me. And then, of course, I got involved with a whole lot of other stuff and network marketing and other things too. And I, I learned so much about leadership. Um, but then in the corporate world, that's where I got to apply a lot of it and also in the community and different things that I did, whether it was coaching you know, disabled children and sort of like the Paralympics type scenario, but it was for the local community and uh, doing a lot of that kind of side of things. And, and it was really, really amazing to see and actually pulling that in t- together and helping people out. So to answer your question, it's been throughout the whole of my life. It's just been there all the time. Uh, I'm the oldest of four, and um, I've always felt like I've had a, a leadership role and 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 being the oldest and so forth. But uh, the other three probably won't even won't agree with that. <laughs> I, I don't knowing, knowing your brothers and sisters. Uh, yeah, your your brother and sisters. I was going to say I don't think they will. Yeah, <laughs> Dennis. One thing. I've noticed about leadership is sometimes there's some people that are, that have got fantastic potential to be a leader, but they can't get their voice heard. Is, is there any way to cut through? So, you know, a group situation like you're in, for example, sports team, et cetera, you know you've got the goods, but there seems to be that sort of more extroverted person or, or, or loudmouth person or the guy that can score a few more tries than you. But as a complete package, you're probably better. Um, and many of us might have worked for the, the guy that you don't want to work for and you don't know how they got the promotion because you're about 10 times better than them or, mm. or, or lady, so to speak. Any mm. thoughts on on how you can maybe be seen a little bit more? Or Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I, I find that even if you're sitting in a meeting, let's take a, a meeting scenario of a team, you're right, there'll be the one, two or three people in there, the extroverts out there speaking a lot, saying a lot. But sometimes I find it's just a lot of talk or a lot of noise. And just that's just the way they are. They like to to, to talk out their thinking rather than think about things. And then you've got others in the room who sometimes you go, are they in the meeting? Because they're so quiet. They don't say anything, right? And then they are analyzing things. They're more analytical people. And then what they do towards the end, they'll say something and everyone goes, huh. And it's like, it's the nugget. It's the big insight. It's the, it's the big thing. So that's one scenario. But then the other scenario is, I think it's really important that we as leaders find our voice and that we find our feet, our confidence to speak up. And I find that a lot of people aren't speaking up enough. And our teams need you to speak up. They want you to speak up. They want you to represent them. And if you have to fight for that or put it in a way that's very strong context, that people understand it, 
I'm going to encourage the listeners to make sure that they do do that because I don't think it's been enough uh, been done enough, Dennis. Who was your favourite leader? It could be alive, dead, historic, you know, uh, and, and why? I've got two actually. One is the one I've already mentioned, which is Dad, right? Um, you know, being that strong work ethic and uh, the commitment, and you know, he's turning eighty uh, coming up in a few months' time, and he's still getting up at five a.m. in the morning. He's still at the door by ten past six in the morning. He's still walking to the to the roastery and doing what he needs to do, and um, and he works, and he's and he's and he's just loving it. But he's he just shows that he's committed again, the work ethic and. Nothing phases him. He just gets on with it, uh, which is pretty cool. And then the other one is my grandfather. Um, so his name, my name is Dionysios uh, in Greek, and um, that's his name too. So I was the first one of the grandchildren named after him. And um, in a small island in, uh, in Greece below Corfu, and uh, Prince Philip, of course, was born in Corfu. And um, so he, my grandfather on the island was the president of the island for about 28 years and uh, kind of guy who would go to the mainland to fight for the people and the businesses in the island and um, heard a lot about him and and uh, the family is saying, because I've only spent of all my life probably in about nine months with him, so about six months with him when I was the age of five and then three months with him when I was the age of 21. And and then I actually did spend some another month, I think, after that too, after I got married. But the guy was the kind of guy who would actually say things and would actually have a voice to say things. And that's going back to the other question you asked before, right? And so he did get he was he did make sure that he was heard. But not only did he say things, but he was actually heard what he was actually saying, and that's a real real key. And um, the family are saying that the way he speaks, the way he stands, the way he portrays himself and all that when he was alive, I'm doing exactly the same thing. Apparently, they reckon it's, it's their dad living again. I'm like, wow. Um, so it's pretty cool. So it's it's interesting. So I think it's those two who have been very, very influential for me as as a, as a person. It's interesting you say that, Dennis, because a, a couple of things that you've touched on in a, a couple of the podcasts that I've listened to are Attitude, um, the six inches between your ears, and um, your dad and your grandfather, the time that I spent with them always really, really positive, even in adversity when there's, you know, th- things, some real challenges that they're facing. Um, and also the power of words, which is another one that you've talked about is how they speak to you. Like when um, Lambros, your dad, talks to you, you, you really listen and you hang on every word because of the way that he says it to you. And and I feel that you have very similar traits in that. Is that something that you think that you've picked up from both of them? Uh, yeah, I think I have. And, um, you know, the listening is, you've, everyone has to work at it, right, for sure. And because of my coaching experience and being able to work with people, it's actually listening to what they say and then listening to what they're not saying. And uh, listening to what they're not saying is very powerful, uh, for sure. Going back to the six inches between your ears, I think that's really important. It was all about attitude. And a lot of things in life are out of our control. But there are two things that are in our control our attitude and the way we react to things. And then the second thing piece is where we're going next. And um, it's the going next that's really, really important. Rather than freezing or being stuck there because you don't know what's what's happening is just getting on with things and moving forward. Now, easy for me to say it, but not always easy to do, to do right? So it's an interesting uh, dilemma for a lot of people for sure. Leadership is changing. Name of your podcast, what does it mean for you? Yeah, interesting. It's really quite interesting how you're asking me these questions that I normally ask my guests. But um, leadership is changing in the sense that there is a lot of change going on. And for a lot of us, we are finding that change is constant. It's it's the one of the things in the world that is constant. And if we think about it and we look at it, that if I stood still, if you stood still, if people stood still, if a company stood still, then what would happen is they'll probably go backwards. Why? Because everything else around them is is moving forward because everything is changing. And I find that a lot of leaders today struggle with change themselves personally. But then there's this other piece that they need to lead the change to. They need to help the team, uh, individuals, and the organization move forward. And someone has to lead it. If they're not going to step up and lead it, then we need to find a leader that will step up and lead it. And so I find there's there's always that that side. Then there's the other side whereby, because the world is moving so fast, Technology is making it happen, work faster. We're finding that people are wanting more. If you think about the last two years, all I'm hearing, and it's getting louder and louder all the time, people want leaders to be vulnerable, 
authentic, real, transparent. They want leaders to have an opinion. They want leaders to make a decision. And I keep saying there's nothing worse than a leader that doesn't make a decision. Because if they don't make a decision, then they're not going anywhere and the organization will suffer. And so leaders need to be deliberate in their decision-making and they need to take the organization forward. And so I think leadership is changing, is talking about all of that, but it's about how we as leaders show up every single day and are we willing to change? And if so, are we willing to lead the organization and teams and the business through the change as well? Dennis, one thing you hear a lot from leaders is they're constantly reacting to things that are going on in their environment. It might be emails, it might be staff coming to talk to them, and then the last part of your day or you get an hour left to do all the stuff that you've got to do, whether it's the planning or the um, the going forward, et cetera. Balance, how, how can you balance that out when there is so much demand upon you for your time? I think um, a lot of leaders actually get stuck in the weeds, and so they get stuck in the day-to-day transactional stuff. It depends on the level you are in the organization. The further on up, they should be in the strategy side of things. Um, but then what they tend to do is that there's sometimes trust missing, so they will jump down in the, in the lower levels to make sure things are getting done rather than trust in the team. Then you've got people who are leaders whereby they've got to – move forward, but they also need to make sure they take the team on the journey with them. And I'll give you an example here. When I work with a lot of organizations, I ask them, what is the strategy of the organization? Most people just shrug their shoulders and go, I don't They don't even say, I don't know. They just look at each other like, like deers in the headlights of a car. They don't even know. And then what happens is you ask why, and it's like, because it, it's not being made relevant for them. It's just some executive or some leader has got up on stage and gone and clapped their hands and gone, here's the beautiful PowerPoint slides. This is what it is. Go out there and make it happen. And then what they do is they put it on a big piece of uh, poster, like A3 or A2, whatever, how big it is. And then they go and laminate it because it's really important. And then what they do is they put it up in the kitchen area where people make tea and coffee. They're expecting people to read it and understand it. And they don't. And it's because it hasn't been brought to life for them. And so the important thing here is if leaders can actually bring things to life and actually help people understand things and go on the journey with them, that's going to help them a lot. And they'll buy into it as well. They'll want to be part of the organization as they're doing it for sure. And I say, I actually say we've got to be, as leaders, very good at storytelling. And if you think about those who've got kiddies, right, little kids, the kids want a story time at the end of the night, right, before they go to bed, and they love that. And then why do they love it? Because it's a it's an emotional thing, and it's something that's really cool, and something they're doing with mum and dad and so forth. Then as we get older, you and I have been to movies, which we went to 10 years ago, which we probably still remember today. Why? Because there's been an emotional hook. There's been the hero's journey. There's been the, you know, the the man or the woman's found the partner and so forth, and they've done this, and there was adversity, and they faced it, and they succeeded. We face that every day as leaders. So if we can put a story together and, and make it as a journey for people to go through and they can understand it, that's when they'll buy into things a little bit more, and that's why we as leaders will do better in that sense to, to succeed. It's funny you say that, Dennis. I, I saw myself nodding away as you're saying it, thinking, I've worked for people like that where you sit there, you get to the start of a year or something and you're going, right, what direction are we going in? Um, let, you know, what, what are we doing a bit different this year? What are you thinking? What are your dreams, aspirations? Where, how, how do you want to encourage me and give me that really, that little bit of something to bite onto and go for it? And um, yeah, the, you've been, it's been lacking, you know. Um, but I've also had the, the converse where you've had some very, very good leaders that, you know, it is the journey and it is the storytelling. And it's, it's funny because I believe the rise of the podcast is really people... Um, recapturing those stories, whether you're into true crime or what we're into a business or sport, it's it's people finding those stories or the something that they can connect with, um, which which might have been a bit void. And you know, as we know it's a it's absolutely massive at the moment. Hey, how has your business or industry changed and what demand has that put on you and your leadership team or pretty much yourself? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um so the business and industry's changed because I left my global role three years ago to go and start my own business. So that change was massive. The day I walked out of that organization was huge. And so it was really, really quite 
quite weird and think, you know, because here I am working for an organization. My boss and I organized a nice package for me. So you got to remember, right, it's been a year after I've had the tumor removed and so forth, and everything's good because my voice, I've had the tumor and I've had it removed. It's benign, non-cancerous. I feel like I've been given a second chance of life. And then a year later, he and I talk about really it's time for me to go out and do that business because I have been given that second chance of life, and I leave. And the day I walk out, Dennis, it was like all these emotions went through my through me. Uh, I didn't know whether to laugh, to cry, to vomit, to scream. It was just went through with me in minutes, all these different emotions. I rang Mary, my partner, and I just talked to her while I was walking towards the ferry, and she talked me through things. Rang Dad after that, and he taught me through things as well. And it was really amazing. And then, and then the whole life changed, right? Then as my business were underway. And so as we've gone through pandemics and so forth, you know, when you're in your own business, it's a little bit different because there's months that are up and there's months that are down. And when we went through the pandemic, next minute I had 15 gigs canceled. I was like, whoa. And so it was like I could do the one-on-one coaching side of things, but I can't do the face-to-face with these organizations now. And some of the tra- uh, workshops I was doing couldn't be done face-to-face. But there's a whole lot of things that can be, and I got to do some of that. But what I found was income was lost. The next minute, I'm like, the whole industry is changing, the speaking industry, the facilitation industry, and everything's going, and people are trying to go into online and so forth. People are freaking out because they didn't know what was going to happen next for them in relation to the pandemic. And so really had to adapt well, get onto things, and make things happen. Once again, attitude, right? How I reacted to it. Number two, I needed to move forward. The one thing I did do was work with leaders one-on-one and got them to start thinking differently. One guy said this to me, I'm just going to wait for this to blow over. And I'm like, no, you're not. And he goes, what do you mean? I went, no, your team needs you now more than ever. But what, what I realized was that he and others needed me more than ever. They needed to have that coach beside them to help them lift their thoughts, lift their attitudes and move the organization forward. So that's what I did. So I, I was able to to adapt in that sense. And then, of course, I launched a podcast, right? Because I knew the journey of the voice. Uh, I just knew that the branding perspective, the actual credibility, getting out there, having my voice heard, and then also having the um, the voice of other leaders being heard, that was really, really important. And that still is something that drives me today to, to continue to do this podcast. And then after the first initial lockdowns, I got really busy, right? A whole lot of stuff happening for me. But I think there's still more change to happen because we'll have to, we'll see probably more lockdowns happening. But I just see the whole of stuff starting to change even more so. And at times, we don't like change. None of us do. None of us like change being done to us. We don't mind others going through change and we don't mind change being done. But when it happens to us, we don't, we don't really like it. And so what I found is that, um, well, what I think is going to happen is more change is going to happen. That's being able to take it head on. What do I mean by this? When there's a house that's on fire, this is what the CEO of Hewlett Packard said to us one day. Run to the fire. When a house is on fire, people are in the house, what do they do? They run away, right, to get away from to safety. But where does the fire crew go? The emergency services. They run into the fire or towards the fire and hit it, take it head on. That's what we need to do. We need to do whatever's going on for us in life and change and so forth. Our business is changing, our industry is changing. We need to take it head on. You could be like the deers in the headlights of a car and be stuck. But I'm going to encourage you to take it head on and go for it because you need to be able to do that for sure. Dennis, how do you overcome fear? There's there's a lot of people that would be hearing exactly what you're saying, and I know I did it for a number of years, where you think, Yes, I, I'd love to go and take that leap of faith, but I'm a bit scared, I'm comfortable, it's paying the bills, my kids are eating, all those sorts of things that you can you talk yourself out of it. Yeah. I think it's guilty. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's, guilty. Yeah. yeah. I look I, I think it's a mindset. I mean it's um a lot of lot of people I work with who do want to go into another career move, but then they don't really want to leave that organization to go to another organization. Why? Because in this organization, they're a star. They're doing really well. They're getting all the bonuses. They're all very comfortable. But then the number of people I've worked with lately, whereby they've said to me for the last 18 months, they've been bored. And I go, yeah, but you've been taking your salary every month, haven't you? Uh, Yeah. So I said, but you haven't been bringing your A game. Oh, no. 
And I'm like, okay, cool. Where do you want to go? Well, I want to go to another organization. Great. But some of them are a little bit scared or have that fear of stepping up into a bigger position. That's one. Two, those who want to go out and do their own businesses, for a lot of them, they they want to go out and do this business. They think it's going to be great. But then when they go and do it, they go, oh, and they start to get the speed wobbles, as I call it. They start to see that the money's not coming in every single month and so forth. And I've had months where I've gone, wow, what's going to happen here? But then, you know, you just got to trust the process. you got to put yourself the faith into it, right? Fear is the word that you mentioned before. And for me, uh, one of my coaches said to me years ago that fear standard for false evidence appearing real. So the F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And if you think about it, for a lot of us in life, as you said, right, you talk yourself out of it. It's going on, what's going on between your ears? And we start to talk to ourselves and it becomes a some false evidence based on some hearsay or what we think might happen. But we talk about it so much, it starts to appear real. And hence why we start to pull the plug on things and go, you know what, I don't want to go there. So I'm going to say to people this, if you're thinking about wanting to do something and you have that fear, I always find that there's one thing well, there's several things, but there's one thing that always stands out for me and for others, and that is your why, your purpose, your passion, your why, why you're doing it. And if that why is strong enough, you'll find a way to move forward and stay on it and move and, and do what you want to do. So I think a lot of people's dreams, whys, purpose, passion isn't strong enough, and they need to find something that's going to be very strong to pull them through those times of, of, of the hardship or ambiguity. If there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what would it be? I would say be bold, courageous. I think a lot of leaders, and, and I, I want to do it more too, but we just need to be bold and courageous. Just go for it. The two words, hope and try, they should not be part of the vocab for any leaders because your organization isn't going to hope that you're going to get there or try to get there you got to go for it. you got to be bold. you got to be courageous. And I think that if we can get more and more leaders to be bold and courageous while at the same time taking people on the journey, not running over people, if you know what I mean, but treating people with respect and taking them on the journey with you, that would be an awesome scenario. How has employee expectations of leaders changed? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, you and I and others as well, we've, we've been employees. And what we're seeing of late, especially the last couple of years, as I said before, I think a lot of people are finding that the expectations of employees have changed in the sense employees are wanting more from leaders. They want leaders to be real, authentic. You know, they I, I keep talking about there's this BS radar. It's the, the I'm going to just say it, the bullshit radar, right? When a leader's up front, and you, you may have seen it and the listeners may have seen it before, whereby... A leader will say something or will actually give some messaging and there's not enough messaging there. So it creates a void. Or the leader gets asked a curly question from the audience and the leader doesn't know the answer. What do they do? They start making it up. And people can see right through them. They can see the BS, they've got the BS radar on. And they're going, no, we want you to be transparent. So there's this other group of leaders that put their hands up and go, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question but I'm going to come back to you. And what happens? They don't go back to the people. And so the trust and credibility goes straight out the window. So I think leader, the employees are wanting leaders to be better at what they do and be transparent, authentic, and be real, and then move forward. The other thing I would think is that we've seen different generations now of employees coming through into some organizations. And some of the organizations have three, four, five generations working within one organization. And if you think about it, all the all the generations are a little bit different. And I keep hearing about Gen Z and so forth and, oh, they're hopeless and they just want this, they want that. Well, I actually think the opposite. I actually think that a lot of them are hungry, but they're actually wanting strong leadership. They're wanting leaders to be very strong, to give them direction and help them move forward. And so if they don't see that, what happens? They go, see you later, and they vote with their feet and they go to another organization. But what happens nowadays is they go onto this social media app called Glasshouse or Glassdoor, I think it is, and it's and then what they do is they write about the leader and they'll even name the leader. The leader was useless and didn't do this and didn't do that, which is not good. So I think to answer your question, employees' expectations 
They are expecting certain things from people. They are saying so. And if they're not getting it, they're actually voting with their feet. And what we're seeing at the moment, Dennis, is that due to COVID and the pandemic and so forth, people were a little bit scared, so they hung on to their jobs. But because time has gone past, people have thought about their lives and gone, you know what? Life is too short. And screw this. I'm off. I'm going to go and do something now I want to go and do. Or I'm going to go off and get better pay. So all businesses now, A, can't find people, and B, can't retain what they've got. And so they're struggling a bit at the moment. So there's an interesting dilemma happening here for organizations with their employees. It's interesting you mentioned that, Dennis. And if I can take you on a bit of a tangent, particularly about the, the Q&A with bosses, a lot of organizations you see, the solutions are on, I call it, you know, the blue collar level or the operational side. Why is it quite often you'll see an external organization hired to try and find the answers that are right within your team and all it would take would be a cup of coffee or, or that genuine dialogue amongst one another and, and you may be saving three, four, five hundred dollars an hour. I don't know what these consultants cost. Yeah. Uh you're right. I mean I I don't know how much they cost either, but I do I know what you're saying. They they bring the out of town expert with a briefcase and to try and find out what's going on when it could be pretty simple. But if there's no trust there or they don't feel like they're being heard, then they're not going to really open up to people. They also feel like that they and every every country's different and every culture is different too. So there will be people who feel like they're they're if they speak up and say something, their job's at risk, right? So they're going to lose their job or they'll have something happened to them, and they don't really want to do that. So what they'll do is they'll keep quiet and go, it is what it is, but they'll they'll moan about it or they'll whinge about it behind the, the scenes, and then what you'll find is that it just doesn't happen. So I think the the best thing that they can do is have trust and allow people to actually open up and say things, but in, a, in, a, in an environment that is safe to say things, and this is why we're seeing psychological safety as a, as a topic that's come up a lot in the last year or so, because people aren't feeling safe to be able to say things and and what they're doing and in, in the organisation that they're working for, and it's a shame because I think that if uh, if people could speak up and say things, you know what, leaders, they might be right. They might have some good ideas. So maybe we should sit back and listen to what they're saying and and and, and be with them. I think there's another thing too, Dennis, because we've got these devices nowadays. When somebody comes to the leader, the leader goes, "Oh, I'm too busy. I'm doing some emails. I'm doing some meetings," or the leader's looking at their tablet or their phone and, and they're just not actually present with people, right? And I'm going to say to them, you've got to be present. In fact, I say to leaders, sometimes they just want five minutes of your time just to ask you a question, get something off their chest, and they're away. But no, what do you do? Oh, I'm too busy. Or you're not actually present with people. And I think that's a, a big, big thing that people need to do. Is it inappropriate as a lower-level staff member if you might have said once or twice, I'm over here. Would you mind just giving me your attention for a couple of minutes? <laughs> <laughs> it's well, a bit ballsy, but uh, excuse the phrase. But yeah, I sort of sat there. I was very fr- exactly what you described, and I sat there and I thought, um, and yeah. I'd made the appointment as well. So you sitting there going, you know, you knew we were going to talk for fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's 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 not good, um, but it just it, it tells me more about the leader um, mm. and who they are and what's going on for them. Now, don't get me wrong, they, they probably are working, they've probably got a lot on, right? They're probably a lot stressed yeah. out and so forth. And it's to be because fair, they're yeah. not looking after themselves either. And they're Ooh. not they're not looking after themselves then and helping themselves out. And I always say that there is no religion, there's no sporting team, there is no politics that everyone agrees on 100%. But there is one thing that all airlines agree on 100%, and that's this. In the unlikely event, the mask drops down in front of you, put your mask on first before you help anyone else. Now, the reason they're saying that is, if you don't breathe and you've got no oxygen, you're useless to anyone else. So the same thing for leaders. You've got to look after yourself. You need to put the mask on first. You need to look after you so then you can look after others. And if you don't and you're burnt out or you're retired and so forth, then what's going to happen? You're going to be no good. And uh, there's an episode I've released recently, and it's called I Interviewed a Lady in South Africa, and she does a lot around mental health and that. The actual topic, title, for well, the title for the episode is The New Pandemic is Burnout. And if wow. leaders aren't looking after themselves, this is what's going to happen. And uh, we're seeing leaders today who are physically, mentally, and emotionally tired at the moment. And we need to make sure that they're okay going forward. 
Well, following up from that then, what makes a leader successful today in the fast-paced, ever-changing world that we live in? I think they need to be what I call match fit. What do I mean by that? If you think about a sporting team or if you think about somebody playing a musical instrument, if they can become match fit, then they're going to be able to go and test and, and stand the test of time. They're going to be able to go out there and under pressure, play a game, do whatever they do in their job, and they do it very well. You can go and be fit, that's one thing, but being match fit is taking it to another level. And if you if leaders can do that today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world, that's when they're going to become more resilient. And resilience, what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of us will have heard the saying, and in some countries they may not have heard the saying, water off a duck's back. And, and the reason being is that the ducks have a protective layer on, on their feathers. And when water goes onto their feathers, it sort of just tends to go off because it won't penetrate. Well, we need to get that protection on us as leaders as well as individuals. And so if we can put our mask on, have that resilient cover, and then we can go off and look after ourselves, then uh, in this fast-paced changing changing world, we're going to be look after, looking after ourselves. And you know what? Our organizations need us to be in our top game. They need us to be out there doing what we we need to do to move them, being the employees and the organization forward. So I think it's a big, big thing that we need to look after ourselves. I want to hit you with another curly one on resilience, if you don't mind. One one thing I've noticed as a parent, two young children, you know, uh, 11 and down, is um, a lot of our sports, and it's funny, I was talking with a very high-profile cricketer um, today about exactly the same thing. A lot of our sports, we don't keep scores. It's all about participation. You know, pass the parcel, there's a present in every layer of pass the parcel, you name it. The the resilience sort of side of, of um, facing loss or not winning or getting a lesson out of things not quite going your way, it seems to be fading because we're making things a little bit more comfortable or we want to protect our kids, et cetera. How does it change in terms of leadership when the, you know our, our kids do become 18, 19, 20, 25, down to their first job and sort of everything, every step they've taken is quite unique and quite different and, and very different to some of the challenges that you and I might have faced where, you know, I never want to pass the parcel. Yeah. Um, oh, never pass the parcel, right? When I get that, that <laughs> prize, I get that. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's not just in that. I think it's another things too is that sometimes they get a little bit of a shock when they go out into the real world, if I can put it that way, out into the corporate world in particular. Although even though the public sector too, right? But I think that what we find is people, it's it's about what we've we've learned and we've we've been trained to get ready for the future as well. And it depends on what we've actually teaching people going forward. If we if we've been wrapped in cotton wool, mm, is that really a good thing for sure? I don't know. Yet again, on the other side, if we've given them opportunities to actually succeed, that's really quite cool. So the way I look at it is like this. I can give you the fish for you to eat or I can teach you how to fish so that you can go out and stand on your own two feet and fish going forward. And so that's the way I look at things as well. What can I do as a leader to give people opportunities to to learn? Now, they may succeed and they may fail. But the important thing here is none of the people who are in leadership positions today or people in life today are where they are without making mistakes or making or failing. It's not what we failed at, it's what we do with it that counts. And if we can learn from those mistakes or from those failures and we can learn on it and build on it, that's how we actually build that resilience as well. Then there's the other side too, whereby if we can build and build and build on that resilience side of things, then it's it's a lot easier for us. Take COVID, right? So if we're into the fifth lockdown or think here, whatever, this lockdown Yes, people are annoyed and frustrated, but you know what? We know what's expected now. So we've built some resilience around that. And now we know what we need to do to cope with it and move forward. How can we cope with it? And how can we keep our productivity or performance and whatever we're doing up? That's going to be a real key for us as well. So it's quite interesting to see where that all goes and uh, and what people do with it and, and making mistakes and learning from it. But that's how we build our resilience for sure. But also we can learn from others. Because you see, others have gone down a certain track maybe before us and maybe it worked for them and didn't work for them. So what went well for them and what didn't go well for them so we can learn quicker 
and then we can move forward without having to make the same mistakes that they may have made. So we can actually learn from hindsight, right? We can actually learn from their their perspective as well, which which is really quite interesting to see. So Dennis, I'm seeing resilience has been talked about from a lot of people right now, right? And so over the last just a year and a year and a bit, whatever, I've done about 80 workshops with leaders around and employees around change and resilience and so forth. And it's something that they're talking about for sure. There's a lot of people out there talking about it, but they actually haven't done it. And it's about actually helping people work through the resilience side of things and getting prepared for for things that some events that may happen in the future. Where do you see leadership being in about five years' time? I don't know. To I was be honest, say, tough tough one with what's going on in the world at the moment because I never thought, as you touched on, I never thought I'd be. I think it's about the fourth month in New Zealand that Aucklanders have been, you know, locked in their homes or to a certain yeah. degree. So, you know, if someone said that to me last prior to twenty twenty, I would have gone get out. Yeah. <laughs> what I do know is that leadership hasn't really changed over the years because how we communicate is really important. Communication versus connecting with people is really important, right? But what I've noticed over the years of leadership, and I'm pretty sure this is going to happen over the years to come as well, the fundamentals are the same. But we have to do it really well. But we have to do it faster. And we probably have to do it virtually or we're going to have to do it more with technology. And so being able to handle that. The other thing too is the analogy of spinning too many plates. I think we'll find that we'll spin a lot of plates for a lot of people. But then what we're going to see is that if you spin too many plates, things will start to drop. So we're going to have to be a little bit mindful about what things are going on and how we're taking on too much stuff as well. So I think in five years' time from now, it's going to be really important for leaders to keep developing themselves to be the best they can be, but not just be the best they can be, but to be world-class at what they do. And if they can keep developing themselves, that's going to be really important. I think leaders are going to need uh, coaches more executive coaches, leadership coaches, more beside them, helping them with their thinking, helping them look at different scenarios and working through things. I think that's going to increase a lot more as well. I think teams are going to ask their leaders to step up more. But if leaders are smart, they're going to get their teams to step up and develop their succession plans, their successes for the future. And too many leaders are waiting for it to buy chance for it to happen. You can't. You're going to have to keep developing people now and it all starts now. So sowing seeds today for where we're going to be in five years' time. Because if listeners, if the listeners think about what they were doing five years ago, it's where they are today, right? So whatever you were doing five years ago, study whatever, and people in a job, it's because that's where they were five years ago. So where we are today is really setting us up for where we're going to be in five years' time. And sure, there's going to be other global crises and things happening for sure. But what can we do today to set ourselves up for the future in five years' time? May I ask you a couple of more? I've got two more. Yeah, you go yep. for it. Okay. So you mentioned a, a little bit of a labour shortage, particularly in New Zealand, closed borders, where leaders have got exceptional staff that are very, very good at what they do, but they really deserve that recognition or that promotion or or somewhere to go forward or that development path. But sometimes you see a hesitation from a leader because who do I fill that gap with? Because they're so good at that particular element of that role. How can I promote them and then fill that gap? Because I know who's coming through will take me a long time or be very, very hard to fill their shoes. How do you overcome something like that? Or how do you, as a leader, how do you take that leap of faith and keep that staff member motivated and, and on a good trajectory in a, in a pathway? I think you've got to be honest with them, right? So you've got to be honest with them up front all the time and talk about things. I think what happens in a lot of performance reviews and things like that, there are surprises. There shouldn't be any surprises. People should already know what's going on for them and where they are throughout the year anyhow. If we can help people in that and understand what the pathway is for them, that's great. But I think there's this other thing that happens for a lot of leaders. They cuddle and they hang on to them. They want to kiss their little, you know, their employees, and they hang on to the employees and wrap them up in cotton wool because they don't want them to leave and what I say to leaders is your success story is helping other people move forward and, 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 and go on to other bigger things. That's what you want to have happen. And if it means that they leapfrog you into another more senior position, that's still your success. But what our responsibility is as leaders today is to run the business, make sure the business is running on a daily basis, and develop our people, our teams for the future. Because 
I'm going to use an analogy, a sporting analogy, and I've used it a couple of times in other episodes, but I'm going to use it here. I'm going to use rugby as an analogy, and I'm going to call, I could take the female team or the male team, but I'm going to take the male team, and we talk about the number 10 jersey. The number 10 jersey is owned by who? Who owns the jersey today? And most people say to me, oh, it's Bowden Barrett. No, it's not. It's Richie Moanga. And I know for a lot of our listeners overseas, you can talk about the quarterback in an American football team or the number 10 or the, the striker um, in the in a football team and so forth. And the thing here is none of them own that jersey. They are the custodian of that jersey. What do I mean by that? They are there for one year, two years, five years, 10 years, wearing that jersey, but setting it up for the future and leaving it in a better position than it was in the past. And so what I look at as leaders, our role is as a leader is to put that jersey on and be the best leader we can be and then hand that jersey over to others to actually start wearing and and, and, and doing that. So I'm not sure if I answered the question, but I think that's that's what's really important for us to do is to make sure that we're setting up other custodians to step into our jerseys and to be able to actually play that that, that position. No, no, fully answered it. Um, the other one, because I know uh, with yourself, and particularly in the in the role or the leadership role and the people that you work with, you, you're giving a lot of yourself. And, and having worked in broadcasting, uh, particularly in that presentation side, you you expel a lot of energy, and at the end of it, you're quite drained. And it's it would be lovely if there's something that you could do where it's sort of reciprocated, or you draw on something to to give you a bit of a boost, or you to you know uh, once you finish that. But is is there any tricks or anything or anything that you do to recharge the battery, so to speak? So you have got that you know good to go thing you know next time you're up yeah i haven't asked that question very well but i know you know what i'm trying to say yeah and recharging the battery is a really important thing and i think what's happened for a lot of people especially in lockdown we don't we haven't got this transition period between work and the office you know driving or biking or train or ferry whatever it is and we don't have the transition period back right so that's missing the second thing is uh people are working away and they look up at two o'clock and they haven't had lunch yet don't worry i'll do one more email one more meeting then they look up at 7 p.m., still haven't had lunch. So they're doing that. So what do I do to recharge myself is I take some time out. And sometimes for me, it is having some really good sleep. So I might do a 10-hour sleep just to help me recharge my batteries. One thing that really helps me is water. And so when I go back to the island in, in Greece and that where my dad's from and, and so forth, when I'm in that island, I feel like I'm floating on air. But when I'm in the water, I feel like I'm being recharged. It's just an amazing feeling, and that is. And so water does that for me. There's another thing that I do, which is a bit interesting. People say to me, what? I go, yeah, because I'm working with people all the time, and I'm coaching with them. A lot of them share scenarios and problems they have and so forth. So where do I go? There's various things I do do. But one of the things I do do is I go and have a haircut. And people go like, what? You know, I go once every week, week and a half. And um, and people are like, why? You don't need another haircut? Well, I go there because it's a cleansing process for me. And it really, really helps me with, with things too. I just know that for me, if I don't look after myself, then I'm not going to be performing very well. And at times, I know that I during the day, I might need to go and take a 20-minute nap to do that, right, to be able to continue. That's cool. But I make sure that I'm eating healthy and I make sure that I'm having the right vitamins that I need. And there's one big thing that I make sure I always do, and that is water. And if I can drink three to five liters a day, I'm on top of my game. When I don't, I start to feel sluggish. So if you can get away from the hustle and bustle of the emails and meetings and things like that, I think it's really important. Dennis, I work with a lot of leaders and executives who actually leave organizations and they're going now off to do something else in their career, whether it be another job or a business and so forth. One of the very first questions I ask them is this, when's the last time you took a decent break? Do you know what they turn around and go to me? There's one person, well, some people go, well, can you describe what a decent break is? And I'm like, okay, you got me there. (laughs) Most people go, oh, I had two weeks here. And I go, come on, you know and I know in that two weeks, you'll be reaching for the mobile phone, you'll be on conference calls, you'll be checking emails, text messages, and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Majority of people tell me they've never, ever had a, a decent break, one month, two months, whatever it is. And so I think it's really important for us to actually take a break 
out and try and do and get out of our own, own environment and go and do something different to actually help us recharge and so forth. And I think that that's a big, big thing for us, all of us to do for sure. So um, I do do it and I need to do it because then Dennis is going to be a lot better in what he does and, and come, come across a lot different for sure. Comes back to your, your mask analogy uh, with, the, with the plane, look after yourself so you can look after others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. So, yeah, you've got to put the mask on first for sure. Well, Dennis Janusosa, thank you very much. So, Dennis, thanks so much for interviewing me. It's actually really quite nice to be actually interviewed and asked about my thoughts about things, but also a little bit weird as well because, you know, here I'm being asked these questions that sometimes I ask others, and so it's just um, it's been nice to have that. So thank you so much for being with me on the 200th episode. So it's been great. So thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to say thank you to you for the 200th episode. And just to say to you, just now, about 15 months we've been running with this uh, podcast, to say thank you for your support and that everything you do and your comments and your feedback. I'm going to encourage you to write some reviews and ratings on the show as well and then share this with your friends, of course. But thank you so much. I also want to say thank you to the support team who do the production, the artwork, and so forth. Thanks to you. Thanks to my mentors who have helped me over the uh, over the, the last couple of years in relation to the podcast. I really want to thank you for everything you've done to help me. And, of course, to Mary, my partner. I want to say thanks for all your support and being there. I love you very much, and I know that you've always been there to make sure that I'm doing what I want to go and do and, and succeed at doing that. So thank you so much for being there as well. All right, listeners, it has been a great celebration for us to have this 200th episode, and um, this is all I've got to say to you all. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for those episodes as they've been released. Download them, put a review and a rating. Please share them with your friends, your family, your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 